0: Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. So, how about that college basketball triple header yesterday? Not last night, not an afternoon game. Three o'clock matinee starting it off. The Utes, the Cougars, the Aggies all playing, not overlapping, different networks. You can sit down and you know, watch the game. Sure, you could, you could bump over during commercial breaks to the uh, TNT NBA double header or, or uh, the golf from uh, Honolulu, primetime golf, because they're still in Hawaii. Um, but it, it was it was it was college basketball first second and third for me and it started with the Utes the Utes getting a win breaking that four game losing streak uh, they'd had the two home games they had ten point leads immediately giving up runs to open the second half and then lost the game uh, it happened twice uh, but it did not Oregon and Colorado did it but Stanford did not Stanford came in with a four and one record in conference and the Utes built a nine point halftime lead instead of ten and but I thought the Utes. Uh, a lot more poise, a backbone. You could see they were they, they knew what had happened in the previous two games. They lived the nightmare. They attacked the rim. Uh, they got some free throws. They got some layups. And Stanford made some runs and had some chance. And Stanford hurt themselves missing free throws and missing some easy shots. But the Utes made them pay. You know, when Stanford missed free throws, the Utes went down and scored and pulled away again. So 79-65, they had four guys in double figures. Uh, Allen had 22 to lead them. This is the kind of stuff you we really haven't seen from the Utes. The offense has been a struggle. But the effort's been there, and they've defended. And finally, they made 65 a losing number for an opponent instead of making 65 a winning number for an opponent. So Utes get the win there, and they do have a couple teams. They've been playing some of the best teams in the league. They've got a couple games coming up. They've got Cal on the weekend, and Cal's bad. And then they're going to go on the road to the Washington schools, and Washington is terrible. Washington State... I don't know. Uh, maybe average, maybe middle of the league. We'll have to see how it plays out. But Washington's bad, and the Utes have already beaten them. So they have got a chance here to get to 4-4 four and four in conference and have, what, Washington State and Colorado on the road. Can they split those and be 5-5 five and five after 10 games? You know, we'll see how it goes. But at least they got this one, and, and now on to Cal on the weekend. Little did I know when that game ended that that was also the end of offense, as we all recognize it. A 79-65 game, that, that was... That might as well have been 150 to 120, the way the next two games went. My gosh, they were grudge matches, defensive-oriented, slug it out. Uh, San Diego State and Utah State and then BYU and St. Mary's. You know, both both conference rivals, usually you know, high stakes. BYU and St. Mary's are usually playing for second place behind Gonzaga. We'll see if that happens again. San Diego State and Utah State played, obviously, for the... Uh, the conference tournament uh, title last year. And we'll see if Boise State and CSU might wedge their way into the discussion here. They're off to good starts. But this felt like a high-stakes game, and that was competitive from the get-go. But my gosh, these two teams couldn't shoot it. The Aggies shot 43.5%, and the Aztecs shot 31.5%. Yikes. Utah State only shot two free throws in the entire game. San Diego State shot nine. They were six of nine. Uh, Aztecs get the win, or Aggies get the win over the Aztecs, 57-45. And the defense was just outstanding. They they contested every shot. They gave up very few offensive rebounds. um, You know, off of, uh, I, I guess, 11 sounds like a big number. But when you realize how many shots San Diego State missed, they missed 40 shots. So did a good job of limiting them to uh, a team that usually is an awesome offensive rebounding team. Uh, did a good job of limiting them. And, man, when you give up a point a minute, you're, you're going to get good results. 45 points in 40 minutes. I thought the only time that Aggie defense got a little loose was first four or five minutes of the second half. Other than that, they were money. And, and even that, it wasn't bad. It was just not outstanding. So Utah State grinds that game away and uh, – yeah, it hurts your eyes a little bit to watch, but hey, there's 7-0 in the Mountain West, and however you beat San Diego State, just do what you got to do and get a win and get out of there, and they end up winning by 12. So they'll play again Saturday, tomorrow, on CBS and KUTV2. They'll be over the air to the entire country. Can you believe that? That's a great platform and a chance to go 8-0, see if the Aggies can sweep the Aztecs. And then it wrapped up with BYU and Saint Mary's and I tweeted this out. Watching the first half of the game felt like watching the third half of the Utah State game because they just picked up right where the previous game left off. Just grudge match, grinded out, throwing bodies at each other, banging inside, not a lot of uh not a lot of free throws. <laughs> not a lot of uh not a lot of highlights quite frankly and it was a grind and BYU did lead early but uh, early mid early to mid first half Saint Mary's took the lead and then they held it and they were up 50 to 45 with 10 and a half minutes to go and only scored two points the rest of the way BYU locked them up down the stretch it was very impressive <clears throat> forced turnovers Limited in one shot, contested all the shots, didn't put them on the free throw line. BYU th- did a lot of things right at the end of that game. Uh, the Saint Mary's had one basket, one field goal in the last twelve minutes, and only only two points the the, the field goal uh, in the last ten minutes. Uh, there were some free throws between the ten and twelve minute mark, but uh, BYU, who honestly I thought they were in trouble, you know, they, they trailed, they just couldn't seem to put a run together. It was 50 to 45, and then BYU finishes the game on a 17 to 2 run. That is spectacular. 17 to 2 over the last 10 minutes. Way to close a game. Way to make big plays, most of them defensive. You know, 17 is not a huge number. That's not great offense. 17 points in 10 minutes is 34 and a half, 68 in a game. It's a very normal number. Uh, but again, point a minute defense, or in this case, much better than point a minute defense, giving up two points in 10 minutes, that'll get the win for you. And, you know, you don't play that kind of defense with a weak link, with a weak link. And, and obviously BYU's got some size and that helps them. They've got multiple big guys they can rotate through there and they did. And that size will take away a lot of layups. Uh, but I thought the other guys defended well too, um, you know, stay between your man and the basket. It's not complicated. That was a heck of a win for BYU and a and great way to come back and finish down the stretch. Uh, the NBA we'll have to get to a little later in the show. We're running out of time here. But the story of the night, um, Yurkic breaks his wrist for Portland. I mean, they just got him back from the broken leg. And they were much better with him. And now he's out. And they got beat badly by Indiana, 111-87. to 87. That's a big loss. They are, that is a big loss. They fall to 7 and 5. They're half game behind the Jazz. Denver beat Golden State. The Nuggets continue to get it together. Uh, Nuggets win 114 104. Uh, both those teams are now 6 and 6. And the Jazz at home against the Hawks tonight. So we'll have more on that coming up uh, later in the show uh, as well. So stay with us for that. All right, got to take a break. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 in the zone. Get you a little jazz talk. Next, Craig Jack is coming up right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
1: Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, the Zone, and the Zone Sports Network.
0: Craig Bullerjack's weekly interview is presented by University of Utah Health, trusted healthcare provider for the Utah Jazz family, and yours. Time to welcome in the TV voice of the Utah Jazz, Craig Boulderjack. Bowler, good morning. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. How are the Utah Jazz after a long road trip? Four and two well,
2: on what was supposed to be a seven-game trip. But, on what was supposed yeah. to be a seven, but they came home a day early, and I don't think they probably minded that, having to go from Cleveland to Washington and back home to Salt Lake City. Nothing like putting the schedule together where you, you, you work your way back home instead of going, all the way to the East coast and back, but no, I, you know, I think some positive things came out of it. Um, you know, Donovan made the statement, uh, we got to find out, you know, who we truly are. And I think slowly they have began to chip away at that. Even himself, I think there's a, seems to be a little bit more of a consistency there. Um, you know, bogey's been up and down, but Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson have been as consistent as you would, you know, you could imagine. So, uh, you know, good things, but also teams that were decimated by injury. I think the one positive uh, is they didn't play down to the opponent. Um, most of the trip, they got a nice win in San Antonio, Milwaukee, um, you know, coulda, shoulda in New York. Uh, Brooklyn is not the same team than it was a, a, about a what, a week ago. So, you know, the ever-changing NBA, but yeah, I thought I thought it was good. Uh, I thought it was good, and tomorrow night, Atlanta, then you go back on the road, then you get a homestand, and it could be a, a nice a nice uh, run to the end of the month.
3: So I was telling DJ this little story with the game the other night being on early. My wife's not a big uh, NBA fan regular season, but with a 5 o'clock start, I'm going to be watching it upstairs, and so she's going to be sitting there, uh, see the TV on and uh, the other night, the favorites comes out and just gets a bunch of blocks right off, the, right off the bat. And she says to me, wow, Fave is really playing well this year. And it got me thinking that that is just a major upgrade. And yeah. over the course of time, which is what the season postseason is, those types of things make a difference. Oh,
2: PK, it's, I think it's already been so impactful because once you know Rudy goes to the bench, whether it's for, uh, you know, a break, foul trouble. Uh, there's really no drop-off in the sense of what the second unit's going to do. You know, obviously Clarkson's having a special year. Um, and, you know, and Joe's healthy and planned. It's, it's uh, you know, it's, he's trying to find his way. But Faves just does the little things. You know, three blocks um, just the other night. And, you know, he's just a defensive presence and a rebounder. Doesn't take a lot of shots. Uh, he's averaging between, you know, 14, 17 minutes You know, that could change as the season goes on. But, uh, you know, you're right, and and your lovely wife's right. I mean, he makes an impact. And I think there's just a sensibility with the second unit that there's no drop-off. Nothing nothing against Tony Bradley, who was still in that developmental stage. But you bring back favors who knows really the system, the coach, uh, the teammates, his locker room. Uh, He just, you know, fits in. Um, is he an offensive, you know, juggernaut? He could be on some nights, but mostly his job, I think, he understands, is to be a defensive presence and rebound and give second chance opportunities, and then play at the rim. You know, for buckets is what he, what we saw him do before, and also what he's doing now.
0: So, Bowler, you know how the show works. Uh, PK handles all the positive stuff, and then I handle all the negative stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. So Joe Ingles loved his consecutive game streak, and he loves playing. And when he missed a game, I thought that Achilles is probably way worse than whatever one sentence I hear describing it is. And then he misses a second game, which I actually think, well, the streak's gone, and they all know they can win this game by 30 without Joe. And they won the game by thirty without Joe. So I don't put up the red flag for the second game so much, but the first one and knowing the Memento curse story, yeah, I gotta yeah. say it makes me queasy. And I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a doctor, and I don't get to examine it. So I'm only going off what I can see on TV. But I gotta say the red flag is really up for me.
2: Well, you know the other part of it too, though. He had the night's rest and he came back, and then there was another. You know the the the, the second night. Um, You know, obviously in Cleveland, but then I wondered to myself too, uh, if we're looking at conspiracies here. uh, What if knowing that the the Jazz knew Washington wasn't going to happen before the press Mm -hmm. did, knowing then they had two games that he would not, you know, play and allow him to really rest and rehab it until tomorrow night's game against Atlanta could be a real possibility. Uh, but you know what? What you bring up is a great point of uh, memo because we know he tried to play through that and then popped it. Uh, was just thinking about it the other night. Uh, was it Denver?
0: Yeah, it was uh, in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, the playoffs against the Nuggets, and he went down, and of course, the career was forever changed. So, you know, as, as, as years go on and the technology and the investment. You know, you look at age, but still Durant popped in Achilles at, what, age 30 30 or 31, and now he's 32. Uh, Yeah, you got to be careful. And so I think you, you know, you just, when you hear Achilles, uh, you back off and you let a player make the decision along with doctor's input. But, yeah, for Joe to step away from 384, uh, you know, the 400 number, you know, I thought was obviously something on his radar. For this year and beyond, but I figured the same thing—that you know something's flared up that uh, isn't going to allow him on the floor tonight to stop such a streak, uh, and maybe it takes the pressure off of him as well. But that's not Joe. You guys know Joe as well as anybody. I mean, Joe isn't that way. He wants to play, and that's uh, that's that's, that's, the, that's the driving force behind his game.
3: I do think, though, when he is playing, and I asked him this the other day uh, after the practice that he looks way more comfortable in my mind and my eyes with the second team than he did last year?
2: Yeah, he's talked about that, P.K., just the other day. He finally opened up a little bit on on the Zoom uh, media call. um, And he, you know, that that was the question. You know, I I think it, you know, if I was in his shoes, look, as a starter, it's an adjustment. You want to be a starter in this league. And I know he says the right things, but I think he feels comfortable too, PK, with with, uh, his pocket guy, faves back. And, you know, he's really terrific with assists and open passing. I mean, he's got a great touch, uh, but he's got Jordan Clarkson running with him. I think it's a really impactful second unit. And I think it takes time, you know, for anybody. I would for me to say, okay, my role's changed. Uh, I can start if needed, but basically 90% of the time, this is what I'm going to be doing. Uh, depending on matchups. But I think he, to your point, yes, from last year to this year, I think he understands uh, even more so, and he's fit that role much, much better. Even though he had the slow start to three, he hasn't forgotten how to shoot the three ball. There's no doubt. And he'll have, you know, that's the rhythm that you have to get used to, I think he was talking about, is when you come off the bench, it's now. And uh, you don't have a chance to really warm up while you're, uh, you know, on the floor as a starter. You have to watch and learn why you wait your turn and then uh, make an impact when you jump on the floor. And I think you know he's he's there. I, I just hope he stays healthy because he's a big part of what the jazz do.
0: So nobody really likes to call out other individual players by name, but I think one of the big reasons Joe is better this year is because he is surrounded by better players. And I think when he was on the floor, at the, especially at the start of last season, obviously Clarkson was an upgrade when he came, but right. there were not enough players who were a good offensive threat, and so he wasn't getting open looks, and he didn't have anyone to throw the ball to who could finish. Anyone might be a little bit of a stretch, but there were usually two non-scorers on the floor with him when yeah. he was playing there were a lot of his minutes where there were two non-scorers on the floor, and that was a problem. And now when he goes out there, yeah, they're, they're, they're backups, but they can all score. When they when they are told to space the floor, everyone can execute their role, which means he doesn't he see the second of defenders often. And when he does, whoever he gives the ball to can score from wherever they are on the floor at that moment. So now he looks great. I really think it's because he's out there with five good player, or four of the good players instead of two other good players.
2: Yeah, and I'll toss into this. I think the rotation, he also plays with starters, and so I think you're right. No matter what Quinn has, he's been kind of tight on his rotations with eight, maybe nine with Mie but uh, Joe's also given a chance to be on the floor with a couple of starters, uh, whether it's Mike at one time or Donovan, what have you, it, it, with the guards, but no, I'm with you. I, I just think the fact that Jordan Clarkson now uh, is is such a big part of that second unit and, and Joe and Derek Favors have reunited, uh, yeah, there, there's energy there. And I think Joe's excited. He was forced to take shots late last year, mm-hmm. too, I thought, in, in shot clocks because he was really, as you said, the, the only viable option offensively. So the pressure to hit those shots, he was looking around going, well, I've got to do my thing. And, and at times it was, it was difficult to watch. And the reason why they pulled the trigger, and I'll be honest, you know, Dante just has battled injuries throughout, and, and I don't know if he'll ever, you know, achieve the status or the level that the Jazz hoped he would. And, and now, obviously, he's in, he's in Cleveland but injured again. Well, but to get to Jordan Clarkson back in return, unbelievable, unbelievable trade that has made uh, a, a big difference for this franchise.
3: What do you make of the Harden situation in that massive trade? PK, uh, you
2: know, the league is crazy as it is, but this one just is is crazy, crazier. You know, I don't know how you guys feel, and I'm sure you guys have had discussions about it. Um, I, I just find it odd that... No, I don't find it odd. I guess it's what the league is today, where a superstar can dictate what he does, where he goes, and how it's done. And I know that disappoints many fans um, I'm not sure the big three is going to work it's going to be a stress on a rookie head coach Steve Nash despite the great player that he was uh, Kyrie's missing in action Durant's off an, uh, an Achilles, all three are aging, all three have incredibly heavy contracts I'm not sure they can coexist and I'm not sure if the Rockets got you know their fair worth but I, you know, also look what the Nets gave up for that run. I mean Boston did it, uh, aging veterans, and it's just create it's a crazy world out there. and this this trade kind of, to me, is a is kind of a, a definition of what's going on and also just in the sense of, you know letting guys dictate where they'd go and, and, and what they do. I mean, can you imagine? In the you know with the Jazz or you know a multitude of teams where a guy just says we're not good enough you know we're and it's I know it it, it, it stunned the Rockets and the fan base because he was such probably what would you not say he was the second best player behind Elijah Wan? or maybe he was even at that level I I don't know but yeah that had to be a huge disappointment and the way he came back and the way he's been uh, you know been out of shape and also. You know, hasn't worn the mask, the protocols at the NBA, and the tightening of those protocols just in the last 48 hours. Yeah, it's 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 a mess. But now it's Brooklyn's uh, you know problem. We'll see where it goes.
0: So, when you uh, look at the Jazz and you look at the other good teams in the West. And there are a lot of teams within a half game or a game of the Jazz. Can you see the Jazz being top three at the end of the year? Or what's your level of faith? Yeah, I know you can see it, but what is your level of faith that they actually will be top three and be able to pull it off?
2: Well, I mean, look, they beat the they beat the Clippers, they beat the Bucks. Uh, they they have, I think, all the ability, guys. Uh, as long as they just run their offense. But look, it's the power of the three, right? Uh, if you hit, you look great. If you don't, then you have to go to a, a, a different way of, of plan and understand that you know you can still score um, inside mid range. Uh, I know that the league is stuck on threes, but you know when the Jazz are, are hitting, they're one of the most impactful teams in the NBA. You know, looking at this, this, the the top eight right now, it's the Lakers, Clippers, which I think people expected. Uh, the Jazz are right there with the Suns and the Blazers at 7-4. and four. And then comes Dallas, Golden State, and San Antonio will never quit on you. I think maybe Denver obviously is a surprise right now. New Orleans uh, is a bit of a surprise at 4-6. and six. And the Rockets, with the turmoil they've had, they're near the bottom with the Timberwolves. So, you know, here we are, 11 games, 12 games in, 13 games in for the Lakers, and you're starting to see the West and the East. Uh, kind of d- divide itself and uh, there's a few surprises in there but to your question I thought last year the Jazz you know that had the potential to be a home court team uh, some thought they'd be number two right now they're number three but man it's early and it all depends too on the health of the rest of this uh, the rest of the West but it's a difficult hey it's a buzzsaw as I say every night in this league man uh, Phoenix is a much better club Chris Paul gives them veteran leadership. You know what the Blazers give you every night with the backcourt. Uh, Dallas is, was opposed to or may be one of the top two or three, four teams in the West as the season progresses. So there's a long, long way to go. And you know what the other thing I think will impact? Who, what teams play and who stays healthy? What does COVID do uh, to the East and the West? And how many games are going to be postponed or canceled? And how is that going to be played out? you know, at the mid-break and then at the end of the season before playoffs. I'm not sure how – I don't know how the second half of the season is going to work, but obviously, guys, right, will they make up games or do you just play them as is? Uh, Or are are the standings going to stay as is? So it's going to be interesting. I don't know if the Jazz make up the Washington game. Uh, You know, I know they've got to go back east one more time. Maybe they fit it in some way. Uh, But that's going to be the big question, I think, as this season continues on is – how many players stay healthy, and how many games that they actually play along the way. We're seeing a little uptick right now in games being postponed.
0: I think they replay these games when they announced the second half of the schedule. I think they yeah. only announced half of the schedule on uh, on purpose, but because they've already cut it from 82 to 72, and we know the regional sports networks, most of these teams have got to play about 70 games to get the full right. payday. They I do. figure they're not going below that number. Whatever the number is to get the full payday, they're going to get to that number because they've already given up some ticket revenue. They've already given up some luxury suite revenue, concessions, merchandising, so they're going to get that TV money.
2: Well, here's the thing, too. P.K. and D.J. is that they have a set stop date, right, of of May 16th. Now, does that have to be extended? But you have to worry about the Olympics as well. So, it's going to be interesting to see what the second half indicates and how long the break is between half one, half two. uh, And then, of course, how long they extend it to make up these games that are starting to now kind of pile up a bit after about a month into the season. So, I don't know if it's going to get worse before it gets better. You know, you hope they're doing an incredible thing to try to even play, you know, a season. But they're not in the bubble. There's a lot of responsibility out there with players, and the league made that statement again just two days ago. And that's why I kind of sit back and I'm waiting to see what's going to happen with Brooklyn because you have a couple of players there that seem to be oblivious to what's going on, and that's that could be a real problem for teams um, in the East. Really could, even though on paper you got the big three. But I'm not sure – TK, I don't know what your thoughts are, man, but I, I don't know if the, the chemistry is going to work from day one. I really I really don't.
0: Well, Not uh, all three, no. Yeah, I don't know if Irving's going to rejoin the team. So yeah, <laughs> There's a well, lot I mean, of question that, marks out there.
2: Yeah, the talk was they were surprised that wasn't part of the trade, right? But uh, if you can't get him on the floor um, and, you know, Harden – is what looked to be quite out of shape and not really involved in, you know, being a teammate uh, and you know understanding the protocol of the NBA at the time. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, Durant's, uh, you know, had an incredible career. He's a great talent, but at the same time, there's a lot of a lot of contract money there that Brooklyn took on, and uh, uh, you know, it kind of it kind of seems like it's always been that way with the Nets, always trying to you know manufacture something a lot of teams do and you know sometimes it works but most of the times you get into a situation where it doesn't work i mean durant's had his you know he took off from okc to golden state golden state now to to brooklyn and we'll see how it works out but that, that's, a, that's a tough task for steve nash there's no doubt bowler
0: as always we appreciate it thanks for joining us hey uh, you got joe this morning
2: no we do not no, no, no Joe. Okay. I was going to tell you. Tell him have a cup of coffee on me. Send me the bill. <laughs> Thanks, Buller. All right. See you soon.
0: There's the TV voice of the Utah Jazz, Craig Bowlerjack, talking jazz. When we come back, we're talking NFL playoffs, and we're talking Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. Jerry Burr, Washington Post columnist, covers the NFL, was at the Rams-Seahawks playoff game last weekend. We will talk with him next right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone
1: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and
0: 1280 The Zone. Time to talk a little uh, NFL. We had Jerry Brewer on, national columnist for The Washington Post. When we had him on yesterday, we, we pretty much knew that Jacksonville was going to get uh, Urban Myers our head coach. We didn't know when. And sure enough, later in the day, the news broke right there. So uh, a little more speculative than it would be if we had the conversation with now, but everything holds because we assumed he was going. Uh, Here's Jerry Brewer talking NFL playoffs and Urban Meyer on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jerry, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, Urban Meyer, of course, famously coached to Utah before he went to Florida, before he went to ESPN, before he went to Ohio State, before he went to Fox. (laughs) But now, when you hear Urban Meyer, Jacksonville, what do you think?
4: I'm intrigued, but... uh... I don't think he would be there more than five or six years, and, and, and it wouldn't be because he failed, I don't think, ultimately. It would be that he uh, burnt out again. Um, so is that long enough for you to really establish everything you would want to establish with Trevor Lawrence? I don't know.
3: Yeah, that's an interesting situation because how long will it take? You know, rebuilding in college or getting it to where you want to be obviously is drastically different, particularly at the NFL level where it stands to reason that he will suffer more losses in 2021 than he suffered uh, probably his entire year uh, or entire career, I should say, at Ohio State. But just generally, what do you think of the – idea of college coaches where they've had a lot of success going to the NFL?
4: We're in this wave in which it's hot again, right? Uh, I think, um, you know, it's really this wave started with Pete Carroll going to Seattle. Pete Carroll has a Super Bowl, and, um, you know, you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum with uh, Cliff Kingsbury, who didn't have great success in college, but has this really interesting offensive mind. And uh, he's underachieving. I mean, he's just been there a short time, so we'll give him more time in Arizona. But that Arizona team should have made the playoffs, and they had plenty of opportunities at the end of the year to make it. And the fact that they didn't uh, really leaves a sour taste in everyone's mouth and has exposed, once again, um, Kingsbury's inability to do more than just draw up pretty plays. Uh, So, and And then there's, you know, people in between, you know, um, all of that as well. I, I think um, with the way that the NFL has gone to being more open-minded about offense, not being so bogged down by pro systems and, and all of those things, um, the, the creativity that they're willing to show now, uh, it's a great time for, uh, for college coaches um, to enter the league. I think Urban Meyer has an advantage because he's already naturally, from what we saw at Florida and Ohio State in particular, uh, a CEO type. And I think that could play well um, in the NFL. He, he's only, you're only as good as your assistant coaches, and uh, he has a, a tremendous track record in college of, of hiring the right assistants. So I think he would have a chance. I mean, the question is, you got to be incredibly patient uh, if you went 6-10 and ten in year one in Jacksonville with a rookie quarterback and uh, basically a new team with all the cap space that they have, um, you're doing well. It's, it's probably a four-year process for you to be at a Super Bowl level. He's never really had that kind of a process, at least since he became uh, the name. Urban Meyer has meant something. And so is he willing to slow down and is he willing to – Uh, tolerate the fact that you don't have any great recruiting advantages, especially in Jacksonville. It's going to be all about schemes and all about your ability to acquire talent through the draft and in free agency. Um, These are questions we just don't know uh, about Urban Meyer, but we do know that he's a very impatient man, and we do know that he is uh, wholly unaccustomed to losing like you're going to lose at the NFL level. Um, and and, and those are, it, it's more just personality things that I'm worried about before you even think about the football aspects of this.
0: So when we wanted to have you on, we thought we were going to talk playoffs with you. We didn't know the Urban Meyer stuff was going to accelerate the way it did. But to uh, switch the focus to the playoff games this weekend, I'm, I'm curious what shot you think the Browns have to beat the Chiefs. There are two ways to pick in the NFL playoffs. One, Pick the best team, that's the Chiefs. But the other thing to do is to pick the hot teams. We have seen teams get to the Super Bowl without great records, but if you strip their season away and look, you often find, hey, they won four in a row or they won six out of seven or something like that uh, down the stretch. The Browns were 6-2 and two in the second half of the season. Now they've beaten the Steelers, so they've won seven of their last nine. They're hot. Can they do it?
4: Ordinarily, I'd give the Browns absolutely no chance of winning this game. I mean, I've seen that team that, uh, you know, I think last year, uh, last week, winning the playoff game, especially the way that they did against the rival, um, would, would have been the high mark for their season, and that they go into this game with nothing to lose and just go ahead and lose it all. <laughs> um, but this is a different scenario. You're not going into Uh, You're not going into Arrowhead Stadium uh, and facing 60,000, 70,000 fans. The the home field advantage is just different. I think the home team was, what, 2-4 and Mm -hmm. last week. Uh, And so you really see the effects of how um, you have the comfort of being at home, but you don't have the boost and the energy of being at home. I I covered the uh, Seattle-LA Rams game, and it was very noticeable. Um, just uh, how you know that Seattle team is used to getting that kind of a boost in the postseason, and they weren't able to have it, and they were just flat all game. So I, th- I think I give them a little more of an opportunity in this game, but I, I still think you're, you're uh, just on talent alone. You know, provided that uh, that Tyree Hill is fully recovered from the little tweak of the hamstring that he had, provided that Travis Kelsey is is Travis Kelsey and, and the rest of their, their, their defense is, uh, is still fast and dynamic. Uh, I could see Cleveland giving them a trouble, trouble for a half, but I still see the Chiefs winning that game by 10 to 14 points.
3: How about the old-timers game? Tom Brady, Drew Brees. I think I give a little bit of an edge to the Saints, but I'm not really sure.
4: I would agree with you there, uh, especially because, the Bucks had such a hard time with the Saints in the regular season, and I think there's a there's a matchup issue there. Uh, you know, I will say though that the, the Bucks have been far more dynamic and have really figured out a lot of things in their passing game, uh, trying to mesh the way Tom Brady likes to do it with the way Bruce Arians wants to do it, and uh, they've looked a lot better, say, the last five weeks or so of the season, uh, but. This is normally the time, that in, in year one at least, that we've seen in which uh, they come upon some trouble and they don't look very good in games. You know, do, do the playoffs solve that, or have they truly figured themselves out? I mean, that's a huge question, and I still think the Saints are one of the more complete teams in the NFL. So I think this game is going to be uh, closer than what they played in the regular season, but I just don't see the Bucks winning this game. Uh, I think next year, and it's kind of weird to think about next year when your quarterback's 43 years old, but I think next year was always going to be the year in which Tampa had its best chance at a Super Bowl, and um, I think that's what it's going to be.
0: Do you really think Tampa Bay's figuring it out, or their schedule just got easy? Because at the end of the year, they beat the Vikings and the Falcons, and then they turned around and beat the Lions and the Falcons again. Well, that's four teams that didn't go to the playoffs, and when they were losing the month before that, it's because they were playing the Chiefs, the Rams, and the Saints. All of them were in the playoffs.
4: I would agree with you there uh, to a certain extent. Uh, I think that um, the numbers were, or the passing game numbers, were particularly robust because of that, but the confidence that you gain from it is real, and you're still playing against... Uh, NFL teams are still in, in those secondaries and those defenses. They're still guys that you have to beat some guys here and there that can play, but you're right. I mean, that they, they are virtually unproven. I mean, I think we still over inflate what the bucks are based on uh, how they just went and handled the Packers early in the season when they were really playing well. But we haven't seen that team really since then. We've seen them just take care of business and just be really dominant over teams that they're capable of dominating. This is an opportunity for them to put it all together. I I just don't think they're quite good
3: enough. What's Washington going to do at quarterback?
4: (laughs) Uh, I think they're going to hope that um, uh, a a veteran uh, comes, comes free. You know, whether it be an opportunity to make a play for for Matthew Stafford or Matt Ryan or someone like that, that that would fit uh, what they would like to do, especially since they have a defense that is more than playoff ready. I think I would also look out for them uh, with this number 19 pick in the draft If Trey Lance is there. I think that's a player that they're going to jump on and take. However you know knowing that that, that Trey Lance is has not played at the highest level of division 1 and what got to play one game this year they know that Trey Lance is not going to be able to step on an NFL field and help you win next season so even if they were able to do that at number 19 they're still going to be looking at a veteran quarterback there's still the, the chance that between um Alex Smith, if he decides not to retire, and Taylor Hinkey that they would go ahead and, and um, uh, just try to do those two with a rookie quarterback in development next season. But I think they really want to get a veteran that they feel good about starting for 16 games.
0: So, Alex Smith signed uh, a big contract for a lot of money. If he retires, how much dead money is there on the cap? What kind of hit do they take? Can they afford to bring him back as a backup? Or if he's back, does he have to be the starter?
4: Well, uh, you know, you look at their cap situation, they've handled it really well. It's, it's, it's very clean. And uh, they've got the opportunity, even without uh, even keeping Alex Smith on the roster, to make some significant improvements. Uh, in free agency. They have Brandon Sheriff. They're all pro guard uh, uh, who played on um, played on a franchise tag this year. They got to get him done, and that's about $18 million per season probably for the best guard in the game or arguably the best guard. So, uh, But even even doing that, they're going to have an opportunity to go out and, and get some offensive pieces, a piece or two, or, or get a piece or two. Um, Know, in the secondary and make their team better. So their cap situation is clean enough for them to handle it. Uh, they would have to have a fairly significant amount of dead money. I'm not looking at the numbers right in front of me if if, uh, if they had to move on from Alex Smith. But I think either way, it's not going to necessarily affect how the team um, goes for it this offseason. So I think there's some wiggle room there at least for another year.
3: You think these uh, increased playoffs are here to stay? Um, yes. Yes,
4: they're here to stay. And uh, I just kind of wonder, I mean, I have to look at it um, as a whole. Um, I'm not sure that I like it. Uh, and, I, and I'm not sure that we had 14 teams worthy of the postseason this year, especially with you having a 7-9 and nine team uh, get in via the division title um which would have happened anyway right in in a, in a 12 team playoff but uh you know you have to look at it from a rating standpoint uh which is going to be skewed because of you know the mess that we're in right now and you have to look at it from a quality of football uh quality of play standpoint um and I think you maybe have to look at it from a um e- from from the standpoint of if we if we do have one one seed versus two seed in both of the NFC and AFC championship games, uh, are those championship games affected by the fact that the two seed had to win three or or has to win a third game here? Or is the the playing field fairly level? Like how much of an advantage is being the number one seed this year? That's a question to be answered as well. Uh, But they're trying to make as much money as they can. And, with the pandemic and, and everything, they're going to continue to do so. And I would not be shocked guys to see, uh, eventually them go to a true 18 playoff, um, in each conference. You know, I think that, um, a decade from now, that's what we'll be talking about. Half the NFL will be eligible for the postseason, which would make it, um, you know, more like the NBA. Uh, and I'm not sure that's good for the game, but, uh, money talks and, The only way they've learned how to add revenue is to increase, um, you know, the TV viewings, and that's what they're going to do.
0: What is the Washington football team going to do for a nickname next year?
4: (laughs) It really seems like they're going to stick with Washington football team at least for another year. And I think for the long term, they're considering Washington football team, and they're considering reportedly Washington football club. And you know, which sounds like a like a soccer team. Uh, I, I think you you you, you got to have the 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 cojones to um, pick a name. You know, pick a nickname. P- pick something that, that is plural and something that is not offensive, and and go with it. You know, I think it would just be very weird for you to be the Washington football team. But knowing Dan Snyder. And knowing that they had success in year one, he'll start to think that there's some magic behind this name when really they're still the team with no name. And the only reason that we're giving them some amount of credit is that they had a surprisingly solid first year with Ron Rivera. But, you know, the, the, there is no magic um, to this name. And I hope that he realizes that.
0: Tell him, PK. Make it happen. <laughs> I love this.
3: Well, I've been pushing that they go to the pig skins and then they could still be the skins. <laughs> uh, you know, considering,
4: you know, their sexual misconduct scandal, something with pigs in it, it probably makes sense.
3: <laughs> I was focusing more on the skins, but if you want to do that, that's your call. Yeah, oh yeah, we call them the
4: Washington footballs. You know, that's ultimately what, what pick skins would be, right? Um, you know, I, I think just, just to keep it as simple and as clean as possible, These, it's always about what the jerseys look like, right, and what your logo looks like. Um, it's, uh, it's really not that big of a deal uh, to have a nickname, but I'd like something that had an S on the end of it, something that you can make plural, and something that would not be offensive. And uh, I think that can be done whether, I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of, of, say, Warriors or something like that. But if that's what it needs to be, that's what it needs to be. Uh, it's really about the identity you put to the name by the way you play.
0: Jerry, we appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on and talking a little NFL football. Uh, anytime, guys. Appreciate you. There's Jerry Burr, Washington Post, covering the NFL. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines A lot of college basketball. We'll get to those games. And the Jazz are back in action tonight against the Hawks. Tonight in the NBA as well. Stay with us.